Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. We have to teach our, our people, our students, to be more compassionate, and that will help them be better leaders and help them deal with whatever adversity uh, they face when they get out. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. If hosting this show has made one thing incredibly clear, it's that teamwork, data, and resources will be what help us thrive post-pandemic. Understanding that, Yelp and I have created a cheat sheet, offering insight into consumer behavior, popular trends, and free tools and resources to help you get open and stay open. You can download that guide at joshcopel.com forward slash resources. Didn't write that down? There's a link in the show notes as well. Who doesn't love a great mashup? To get a read on where diners currently stand, the Yelp team released a survey to thousands of users. Cornell University analyzed that data, and today we review their findings with Professor and Associate Dean Alex Suskind. His specialization centers around the strategic elements of the industry, but Alex is more than a theorist. He came up through the ranks of the hospitality industry, and that's where our conversation begins. I'm the um, Associate Dean of Academic Affairs at the School of Hotel Administration at Cornell University. I've been at Cornell uh, for uh, 20 22 years. I'm relatively new to this role. I've only been in this administrative role uh, for a couple, about two years. Uh, pr- prior to that, um, uh, you know, like most people in the industry, I got my start as a dishwasher when I was 14. I fell in love with the industry uh, the first day I was there, my first shift. Uh, I guess it was the beginning of the end for me, right? Uh, <laughs> and I, I never looked back. Um, and um, you know, have been in love and uh, with the industry and working in the in- industry ever since. Uh, you know, now I'm in the academic side of things, but along the way, I had uh, worked for uh, restaurants and uh, cooked. And I think I've told you this before. I don't consider myself a chef because that insults uh, the, the true, you know, the, the true creative minds uh, that fuel our industry. Um, I, I was a good cook. That's about uh, that's about the way I would frame myself. I manage restaurants and uh, and cooked. That was about it. Uh, so anyway, hope that uh, uh, that covers it. It does. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I both had access to uh, the Yelp Diner survey, which I thought offered amazing insight. Yeah, for sure. And, and before we dig directly into that, I do have a general question for you. Sure. Looking at the pre-COVID failure rates of restaurants, would you say that the pandemic created the issues that we're facing as an industry? Or did they simply highlight foundational issues that were there all along? I've asked that question of past guests, but I'd love to get your input. Yeah, sure. So, so I think I think what happened is um, it highlighted some of the you know some of the problems that we that we have in our industry, and and a lot of our a lot of our operators, the folks who are in there every day doing their work, uh, they they're relying on cash flow. Our our business is a, a strongly uh, you know, cash flow driven business. And so when that dynamic is removed from, from the mix, it, it's going to identify a bunch of weaknesses in operating models that operators have. You, you know, you're used to that cash register every night providing you with 
the stuff that you need for the next day and so on and so forth. And that even, even the smartest minds rely on this cash flow, which uh, this pandemic basically highlighted, you know, that, that, that um, I guess that dynamic, if you will, that business dynamic. Well, and you know, every parent thinks their child is beautiful and I'm a restaurateur. So, you know, I think that the hospitality industry is special and different, but when we look at the numbers, the average full service restaurant nets out at 6%. That means that 94 cents of every dollar that a restaurant earns goes back into the economy. What do you think the collapse of our industry would do to the rest of the economy? Oh, it's, we've already seen it. It's, it has a huge impact on everything that we do. And uh, we're the largest employer in many ways. Um, We also support uh, the agricultural business. We support the the wine business. Uh, We support, uh, the, the distribution companies, we support all of these things. We support consumer goods companies, right? Because our restrooms have toilet paper and paper towels in there. And, uh, you know, we use tablecloths and uh, silverware and, and all kinds of equipment. And there are so many restaurant locations, well, across the country, but across the globe. And when that dynamic changes, when those things disappear, right? That changes the economy for everybody. And it's not just labor. Uh, the labor to go into all the stuff that we need to open our restaurant doesn't even count the people that are working in our restaurant. So I think it has a huge, it has a huge impact. Uh, and it always has. Uh, I think it's, it's come to light now more than, than ever. For sure. Well, I mean, even when you just look at like, let's say the agricultural sector, you know, the, 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 the damage done to the hospitality industry has shown the fragility of, of the food ecosystem as it stands, right? Well, without question. And uh, not just for the producers, but for all of the other folks that touch that product before it gets to your guest's plate. And um, we have a, we have a, a well, he's a, a national distributor, but um, based in Binghamton, New York, uh, Maine's food distribution. They announced after uh, they they announced about a month ago that they're closing their broadline business. So that you know the the work that they did to serve independent restaurants after the pandemic uh, uh, hit and these restaurants closed, there's they're not they're not doing business anymore. They're still going to do some uh, distribution for the uh, for the chains, but but that's you know that's their systems work and that's that, that's different than their broadline stuff. So you know the grocery store for restaurants basically shut down. Right. right? So that's huge. Well, it is. And if you and I are aligned, and we are, in believing that there are foundational issues within this industry, then I think we can also agree that now is a great time to reset, to recalibrate, and, and, to, and, and to make make a better future for ourselves as an industry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're three months into this. Even though it is an opportunity to evolve, based on what you're seeing out there, are we changing? Are we evolving? Are we bettering the industry? Or are we missing this, this amazing opportunity? So I think in the, in the early stages, I, I think we're not missing it. I think, um, I think there are many operators out there who now realize that it's either now or never. If we want to fix the wage structure in our industry, uh, now's the time to do it. If we want to find a better way to and I hate to say it, but uh, a better way to to regularly pass the increased cost of doing business onto our guests, like every other industry in, in in the universe does, right? It costs you more to do business, you charge your guests more, and 
like it or not, they, they, you know, they, 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 they accept it. And the restaurant business has always been struggling with finding a way, uh, or, or has always struggled to find a way to do that. So we can do better. We can, uh, we can do better in hiring our people. We can do better in, in the environments in which they work. Clearly, we, we, we have a long way to go in that, but now is the time. And then we, we can do all of these things. So I think now is, now is when we're going to start to see this. And fortunately, I think what will happen is a lot of these larger chains who have always been reluctant to, you know, doing things that don't necessarily help their shareholders. And I don't, I'm not faulting them because they have multiple masters that they have to serve, and that's just the way the world works and that's the way capitalism works and so i'm not criticizing that but they're starting to see that there are things that they need to fix and when these large operators get behind fixing some of these things and take the time and the energy and the effort and the resources to do it then it's going to make it easier for everyone else to do it and you know your mom and pop uh you know diner down the street may have been paying their people fairly forever and we will just never know about it um, and so now is the time uh, to do this. And, and it's not just letting your employees wear a Black Lives Matter shirt, because, yes, that's an, that, that's an important step. But there's way more. There's way more to it than, than just appearances. It has to be it has to be stuff that actually gets done and gets reinstitutionalized into the way that we do business. I couldn't agree more. I think systemic change is the only way to get things done. Um, I want to pivot slightly. So let's say we raise prices, right? Like I raise all the prices in my restaurant so that, that I can actually afford to stay in business and everyone else does too. My big fear is the bloodletting. My big fear is, is that I'll lose my business. A bunch of people will lose their businesses, um, but some people will survive because there's still enough customers that are willing to pay. Um, but, but can you speak to that fear about being worried that, that, you know, some people aren't just aren't going to be willing to pay the premium and what that's going to do to independent restaurants. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I think that, yes, there are going to be some people who reconsider the, the transaction, you know, the, you know, being in, engaged in, in consuming, you know, a restaurant experience because it, it costs more. But, um, I, I believe that what restaurants provide to not, not just to the workers and to the people who own the businesses and support the businesses, but to the guests, it's, it's a cultural thing that's very important to a lot of people. And I think let's you, we can use the last downturn as an example when, you know, when the economy crashed, it crashed in a different way. Um, but there were a lot of people who had less money in their wallets. And they didn't stop going to restaurants. They changed the way that they uh, that they spent their money. And so, for restaurant operators, it's really crucial to recognize that yes, people are going to change their behavior, and you need to resituate yourself and identify what that piece of business is going to look like, and 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 capture it and be the best at whatever it is. So maybe you never did any takeout at all in your business. You know that your thing is. People sit down in my restaurant, they're here for 75 minutes, they have an amazing experience and they, and they leave. Well, maybe, you know, 25% of your guests don't want to do that anymore, but they still love your food and they still want it. So find a way to create a transaction that will work for them 
that will work for you, that will keep the money coming into your business and keep your guests excited about the stuff that you do. And so instead of them coming once a week, maybe they come once a month now, but they're still in once, you know, those other three weeks, they're in there getting, you know, getting a bag of food that they're going to take home and, and, and figure that out. And so I think that we, um, we as operators have to be savvy to just know what our guests want and, and, and get your fair share of their wallet as you had in the past. And when that shrinks, when, that, when the total pie shrinks a little bit, well, you, you, know, you, you have to get a little bit less. But as things recover, people are going to uh, want more. And right now, the National Restaurant Association, they do these regular you know, uh, consumer surveys, they do regular um, uh, operator surveys. There's pent up demand. There are people who are, are like me sitting in the basement of my home, you know, doing you know doing a Zoom uh, uh, meeting that would prefer to be first of all either sitting in a studio, you know, doing this, or um, or sitting in a restaurant having lunch, right? Mm -hmm. And that's there. There are people who want to do that. Now, there are people who are still nervous. There are people who still haven't figured this out. But that's a short term problem that I think we'll, we'll, get, we'll get through. And if operators are really smart and savvy and they bring their customers along with them and they communicate well and they explain, they say, this is why I'm doing this. The, the, reason why, the reason why this steak is more expensive is my supplier just charged me you know, a dollar a pound more for the steak. I'm, I'm buying it and cooking it for you, but I have to charge you more in order to make that happen. And they'll get it at some point. And there'll be some people like, I don't like the steak. Well, you know what? Great. I have this chicken dish or I have this pasta dish. You're going to love it. And it's, you know, it's, it's priced differently than, than, you know, than the steak or this lobster or this higher end item. So you have to figure out what that is. And um, I remember um, high end restaurants never wanted to serve a hamburger. You know, it was beneath them to do it. And I, I don't know. I've been to plenty of high end restaurants now that sell, you know, $30, $40, $50 hamburgers, right? So anything's possible, right? It, mm -hmm. Figure out what that is for our guests and, and own them, own your guests. And, you, you know, I don't know if that's the right term, but, um, you know, be, be with them to the point that they get it. They understand what you're trying to do, why you're doing it, and listen to them. And believe me, if no one's ordering that steak anymore, well, maybe it's time to move on from that. And maybe that was just something you thought they wanted. So we always have to listen to our guests, but now is the time to really, really listen to them. Well, and that was reflected in the uh, Yelp Diner survey. The, the trend that I noticed again and again and again is the diners want to be kept in the loop and communication is going to be paramount to a restaurant's recovery. And you've done a ton of research around the idea of uh, sharing information. Uh, can right. you talk about that and, and the steps that you feel restaurants need to take when communicating yeah. with their customers? Sure. So, you know, and most of the research I do is, you know, I become naturally curious about things that I can't explain. And so I try to figure it out. And um, one of the things that, that I've uh, uncovered through this is that information sufficiency is, you know, having feeling that you have enough information in a transaction is really, really important to your satisfaction, to your loyalty, to all the things that matter. And, and it's not just for restaurants, it's for every single business. And if you think about the transactions that you engage in, where you're the least dissatisfied or the most frustrated, like frustration is a term that I use to describe when things don't work out the way that you want them to. It's usually connected to 
sufficient information. So if you have enough information and something goes wrong or something isn't right in a circumstance, you process it and accept it more willingly and regularly than you would if you don't have enough information. You get frustrated and then that leads to dissatisfaction and, and, and drop them. So, and again, I'm not intending to criticize anyone, but I'm going to, I guess, a little bit. Think about a transaction that you have at a car dealership or with a mechanic, right? That those are things that are largely out of your control, like how cars are priced and the deal that you get when you go in to buy a car. There are all these things and these bells and whistles and you never know what the true value of that car is. And you walk out, you always feel like you just didn't get enough information about it. You still buy the car, but you don't feel right about it. Um, and that's the same thing, uh, assuming it, not, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens a lot, is uh, getting your car fixed. Mechanics, for example, they have a technical skill that you don't necessarily understand how that works. And so unless they come out and they show you that broken part, like my mechanic actually does this. Like when I bring my car in, he doesn't just take the part and throw it in the trash can. He brings it out and he says, you know, he, th this gear thing cracked. Look, this is this this cracked and it was connected to these two things. I had to put that in. But to put it in, I had to pull these three things out. And that's why the labor was, you know, a thousand dollars. The part only cost $14.75. But I to put this part in, I had to take this three, these three things apart. Then you're like, oh, okay. And so you're okay with that, right? You may not be happy that you're, you know, you just had to spend money on that, but you understood why. Um, airlines same thing right they cancel flights all the time and sometimes they tell you why sometimes they tell you why and they're not necessarily telling you the whole truth or the full truth and how does that make you feel as a consumer so all of this stuff led me as a researcher to kind of focus that attention of understanding information and how powerful it is to help consumers have a positive experience, um, you know, focusing on that to, to basically understand how it works in restaurants. And it works exactly in the same way, precisely in the same way that when you provide your guests with timely, accurate information, explaining what it is they're doing, when they're doing it, why they're doing it, what happened and why, um, they will be more satisfied and more loyal to you uh, in, in the long term. Again, you're not going to make everyone happy all the time. And even the most honest and direct explanation will still make some people unhappy. Uh, and that's, that's okay. But the majority of it has to do with information flow and just telling your guests, um, uh, you know, what you did and why, and, and they'll respect you for that. And they'll expect it. In other words, you can't be forthcoming to them one day and then the next day say, Oh yeah, I better not, I better not, say anything no just say it's kind of like when i was a cook and i screwed up an order right i mean not that you've ever done that but when i messed up an order when i was younger i used to try to pretend that it didn't happen and you know cover up something that you know wasn't necessarily right as i got older i realized well and i had a really great mentor who said what are you doing just if it's not right don't 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 do it and so i would rather say hey you know what this dish is going to take another five minutes to to get out because I, I didn't get it right the first time. And I'd rather have it go out right five minutes late than long now. And then you'll have to deal with more problems later on down the road. And that matters. If the server goes to the table and says, hey, you know what, we're gonna be five minutes later than expected. Really sorry about that. Most of the time they're okay. They didn't even realize that it was a problem and they feel better about it as opposed to getting it when it's not right. And then you have to recook it or you have to figure out. So 
that's just an example, a small example of how all this stuff works. And it's not just restaurants. It's in, it's in every consumer uh, domain that you could, that you could uh, think of, or at least most, most consumer domains that you could think of. Does the media matter? Is, is, I mean, do you believe that it's more effective through email, through telephone, through the website? Yeah, so I, I've done some research on that as well, and it really depends on uh, on a few things. It depends on, on what the complaint is, the severity of the complaint, and it depends on who's complaining. So I used to think that face-to-face communication mattered in almost every circumstance, and um, it, it depends. It really depends on, on the circumstances. If it's if it's a severe error, most people want to speak to a manager, but not necessarily a line-level employee. That sometimes the the guest views the line level employee as not being empowered enough to address their concerns or not being well trained enough to to address their concerns uh, and some guests prefer to actually just leave and write a letter you know or eat well very few people actually write letters anymore but some form of communication whether it's you know writing an email to to a you know, to to a, a restaurant tour, or going to Yelp, or going you know to some other you know medium to to communicate. Uh, so some some guests prefer different types of things, but if the complaint is minor, for the most part, it can be handled at the line level. But once it becomes something more, um, then usually the manager is the best way to resolve that problem. And face to face communication works. Remember that once the guest leaves, it's hard. It's harder to repair. That you know, dealing with a um, you know, dealing with a, um, a negative online review is harder than if the guest is still at your table. You know, you can you know, you have once they leave, you ha- you have to work a little harder to, to make it right. Not that it's impossible, but it's just harder. And you know, that's the world that we live in. In fact, your guest can be sitting at your table. 20 years ago, they couldn't do this, but they could be sitting at your table, you know, typing in the review as you're si- you know, as as they're still sitting there, and they could post it before they even leave. And so that that makes it even even more complicated. Well, and I also think it speaks to a changing dynamic. When we look at the data, we see that call volume is way up for restaurants. Uh, People are afraid and they're apprehensive and they want to talk to someone and they want that reassurance, which I think requires a change in the restaurateur's perspective. I mean, I can speak for myself in my own restaurant, which uh, prior to the pandemic was opening at five o'clock every day. We never cared about the phones. Like, who will call a restaurant at nine o'clock in the morning when we know, when everyone knows it's, it's closed, but those are the hours the world works. And, right. and those are the times we need to be available because that's the time that the people are calling. Right, right. yeah. And so I think being available to your guests in, in multiple ways are, uh, are, are uh, you know, that, well, that, it's important to, to say the least. But we can learn from the chain restaurants. All the chain restaurants have customer or guest support centers where they're staffed, some of them 24 hours a day. So if something goes wrong, you can talk to a human. And um, I, I did a little bit of work um, uh, w- with Darden uh, coming on, uh, well, maybe 15, 16 years ago. And um, I was really curious on how these call centers actually worked. And a lot of the call center uh, calls were, were just guests asking for directions. They were asking for um, specials or promotions. And very few, I mean, there were, but very few of the calls, if you took the whole volume and parsed it out, were, were unhappy guests calling and complaining. Believe me, they took those calls. But 
the vast majority of the calls that came into the call center were guests just wanting information about stuff, about, uh, about the company, about the restaurant, about um, you know, what was going on, as opposed to saying my steak wasn't cooked properly or you know, uh, my, I was overcharged on my, on my, my credit card or you know, stuff like that. Not that those things didn't happen, but um, uh, that, so that was eye-opening for me. But so these companies have been doing it for a really, really long time. So yeah, it makes sense. Have someone there to answer the phone. If you're the one in the back, you know, loading, unloading the truck and doing your prep for the day, you may not have time to answer the phone, but so, someone's got to do it. Right. So I, I totally agree that, uh, you know, human contact even today is probably 10 times more important than it was. But it was still something that, you know, smart, savvy operators th thought about. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I also see the technology is going to play a huge role in, in the next evolution. How do you see uh, reservations, waitlist technology? playing a role in the reopening process. And, and is there room for walk-ins in a post-COVID world? Yeah, so, so I, I think the short, answer, the short answer to your question about technology is technology, as we know, is becoming increasingly more important. And it, it, you know, it, it helps us be more efficient in many, many ways. It's one more thing to manage, but it does help us. You know, we've all seen that, that reservation book, right? I, I mean, that's a great classic thing when you see that and they write your name down in that book. I, I love that. But again, you can't get to that reservation book from your smartphone while you're, you know, riding a train to work in the morning, right? You, you can't, well, you, I guess you could call theoretically, but so technology is everywhere. And I, and I remember the first, the first time I was working in a restaurant when we got our first point of sale system, I'm like, Oh my God, this thing is complicated. And if you look back at that first microsystem right. compared to what we have today, I mean, you know, those dinosaur, archaic dinosaurs, but I mean, compared to the dupe system, it was, you know, it reduced errors. It reduced, um, you know, the amount of time it took you to check out at the end of the night uh, from, uh, you know, uh, revenue management, you know, uh, cost management, all that stuff became easier because it was automated. So I, Technology is going to help is going to help us with all of that. Now, getting to your second part of that question about walk-ins, I think there is going to be a need, and there's going to be a way for for restaurant operators to leave a little bit of space in their system for you know for people who just are walking by and feel like coming in. And you know, with bars being questionably, you know, you always had your little bar, and you can go and sit down and get an app or a drink. But I th I think. Um, Post-COVID, we're still going to have a need for that type of thing, and restaurants are going to have to figure out how uh, how they do that. And I, I think there is no right answer now, but I can tell you from a consumer behavior perspective that um, you know not being able to walk into a restaurant at the spur of the moment is going to be something that hurts us in in the end because. Uh, not everything is spontaneous, but in our business, a lot of what we do, how we purchase things, how we consume things is very, very spontaneous. I mean, you know, you know, if you want to go eat at the French Laundry in, in Napa, I think you have to wait, well, I think you have to wait three months, right? Every three months, it's like three, three months from today, you can get a table, right? That's different than, you know, walking by a local restaurant and going in and getting, you know, and, and sitting down and having a dinner where when you decided that you were hungry. Right. So I think those are two, you know, those are two slightly different things. So, yes, I, I saw I saw it in my own restaurant. I mean, I saw that, you know, I had 100 reservations on the books 
on Thursday evening. And by Friday evening, beginning of service, we had 300 on the books. People, people are just operating differently. And I, I don't see that changing because of the pandemic. No, I guess, right. You're, you're right. And um, right. I, I think, yeah, we have to, and we have to accommodate that and, and make it, uh, you know, make it so that consumers can consume the way that they, they need to given whatever constraints we have in place. And it won't be the same. Uh, and we, we know that we just, unfortunately, we just don't know what it looks like. Well, and, and I feel the same way about tech generally. So I, I do believe that, that a lot of the tech that we see today serves to take the humanity out of the hospitality experience. But I do believe that the future of tech and the future of hospitality are intertwined. And I do believe that there is a way to infuse more humanity into the hospitality experience using tech. Have you seen any of those indicators? Yeah, so it's it's funny that you mention that because another area of research that I've engaged in over the past uh, five years or so has been the use of technology in restaurants. And I started the, the first couple of studies I, I did looked at um, the tabletop devices that they were adding in casual dining. Right. And, you know, people were really skeptical, saying, oh, the restaurants are doing that just because they want to reduce um, their staffing. You know, why do I have to check out? Why do I have to do all this stuff? And so I looked at several, uh, you know, several chains that were using these these technologies. And what I found is about 80 percent of the guests, 80 percent of the guests that we surveyed and extensively uh, enjoyed the technology for a variety of reasons. Some like the convenience, some like security, some like the ability to, you know, to to be able to play around with the, with the system. But 80 percent of the people had a favorable reaction to to this technology. Now, again, that means that 20 percent didn't. So there were a group of people who didn't like it. But um, my findings basically demonstrated that restaurants need to use technology because guests are looking for it. It helps them. They're used to it because it's a part of their lives, you know? So you have this, this thing in your pocket or clipped to your belt or wherever you keep your phone and it's a mini computer. So the guests are used to that now in in every way, particularly the younger guests, you know, Gen Z millennials, whatever, however you want to categorize their, their age things it's it's really really important to them but the thing the thing that stood out for me and the the thing that i say from all the work that i've done in the in this domain is that technology is a layer of added into the service process it's just another layer that you add in that you have to manage like anything else if i'm if i'm going to add tableside cookery to my restaurant right i'm i decide i'm going to get some garadons and i'm going to start cooking right next to my guests that's a layer of service that you're adding in and you have to manage that carefully, make sure it's right, make sure that people want it. Not everyone wants their steak cooked right in front of them at the table, right? Just like not everyone wants to swipe their credit card and, and leave without having to say goodbye to a guest. Um, so, so technology for everything is really, really important. But how we layer it in is, is, the, main, you know, is, is the main challenge that operators have, that it can't, it's, it's not a replacement. And in the studies that I found, Restaurants could theoretically reduce their labor by about 30%, 33%, depending on, on the type of restaurant, by having this technology in place because servers, their service labor, not their, their, not their culinary labor, but their service labor by you know, 30% because um, the staff needed to do fewer things, that they took fewer trips to the point of sale system to process credit cards and hand something back to someone to sign. 
Um, so you can say, oh, great, I can cut my staff by a third. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to pay more attention to the guest in the dining room, mm-hmm. make sure they have everything they need. When they press the button on the system that says server call button, I show up within you know, a, a reasonably short period of time, like a few seconds as opposed to uh, you know holding your empty water glass up you know hoping that someone comes by to fill it up so um those types of things uh, allow operators to choose how they they deal with the efficiencies that some of these technologies bring so do you want to reduce your labor yeah you can but don't change the experience for your guests and maybe use the technology to serve them better because they'll be like oh yeah every time i needed something i pressed that button the server was right at my table but i didn't i could swipe my card and be out of the restaurant uh, when i needed to go i had to catch a movie and i i didn't have to wait to to leave. I was completely done and settled and, and moved on. It doesn't affect the positivity that you create. They have a great meal. And if they have to sit and wait, you know, an extra five minutes before a server comes to close out their check, that could change the whole dynamic of their, of their, you know, their processing of the experience where, you know, just being able to swipe your card and leave, you know, makes it better. Or you want another beer, you press a button and boom, a beer comes, you know, mm-hmm. to your t- without having to intervene. So those are all, and again, I did the study and the work, the work that I did was in full service settings. And so quick services had technology that's, you know, you know, you know do, doing similar things uh, for, for much longer, but full service, you know, finally jumped in. And now there are apps on phones and things like that, that you don't even need the tabletop devices anymore. So boy, that was a long winded answer to a simple question, I think, but tech is really important. And it's, um, it's a layer. It's a layer of service. It's not a replacement for anything. Um, so there, that's it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I got to tell you, an 80, 80% approval rating is, is startling. I had, I had no idea. Yeah. There, are, there are definitely more layers to the experience at a restaurant now than there ever had been before. Um, everybody's talking about the third, a third, a third model, right? This uh, bodega style offering where it's prepackaged foods, farmer market boxes, retail sauces, um, a third takeout and delivery, everything from uh, individual meals to a large party to actual like meal prep for families. Uh, and then a third becomes traditional dine-in. Is this, is this a, a model that you think is sustainable? And is this the natural evolution of the hospitality model expedited? Yeah, so... You know, it's a, it's a it's a great it's a really great question because I I don't know I think for some businesses I think that is the way that they're going to actually be able to to get over the top and I don't know if you saw just today um, there was a lot of talk about um, uh, liquor legislation that um, a lot of municipalities now states are saying you know what we had all these tight restrictions on what you can do you know what if your guest wants to take a, a, a mai tai out of the restaurant make it for them and you know so stuff like that I think you know is is favorable for us um, the the third a third a third yeah I think you know some restaurants are going to need that to be able to survive and it depends on where you operate so if you're in a downtown location where people live and work in that domain that may be actually a new level of convenience that they never experienced before so it may be an actual benefit now we're doing it because there's no other way for us to generate revenue but when guests get used to things and they like it and you do it well then i see that as 
as an opportunity, but do you want to be in the grocery business? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, if I sell you a six pack of beer, right, just hand it to you, that costs me way less than if I have to open six of them, give you a frosted glass, pour a third of it into the glass, put it on the table, take the trees, right? So, so there's some efficiencies that, that come out of this. Again, the margins are smaller probably on those transactions, right? I can charge you five or six dollars to, you know, to open a beer for you where, you know, the six pack might, you know, you're not going to get as much from that. But again, everything's, you know, everything's relative. So you, you have to take that into consideration. But in terms of takeout and carry out, and you mentioned meal kits or meal prep stuff, that's, that's here to stay. That type of stuff, it's going to be a larger share of our business. The people who resisted it three, four, five months ago, um, none of them are resisting it anymore because they know that it's a it's a it's a bigger component. They have to master it. They have to figure it out. They have to make it. They have to make it so their guests enjoy it when they get it home. And that's a big challenge for a lot of operators. And then yeah, that last little bit. Maybe that that th maybe it's not a third, a third, and a third for everyone. Maybe you know those percentages you know change a little bit. Um, but. Again, there's math, you can do the math, and all of those business, you know, those components of the business model all have their advantages, and, you know, clearly they have their costs, and, you know, I'll hand a six-pack, you know, across, over the counter a hundred times if, you know, if that's going to help me, you know, do all the things I do, pay my people fairly, make sure I can pay my rent, and, you know, save for my kids to go to college and all the other things that are going to have to happen later on down the road as I as I, you know, uh, you know, continue on in this business. We say if a lot, <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> right. And I, and I think, and I think the reason is we're looking at a 20 to 40% permanent closure rate across the industry. Right. And, and so though those, those statistics are sobering and it is truly a tragedy, especially for an independent restaurant operator, I, I'd like to look at the other side of the coin and ask what obstacles and benefits are afforded those of us that are able to remain open for those that survive. What does the world look like? What are the struggles? And then what are the ancillary benefits? Yeah. So, um, so the, the struggle, the, the struggle that every operator is going to have to face is um, basically uh, guest safety, employee safety, and, you know, operating in a way that, um, that protects the, 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 your constituents, regardless of, uh, of who they are. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's a really, that's a really, really uh, a big part of that. Uh, the the other so that's that's work right and again that's another layer that you have to add to the to, to the equation, um, but but the other part has to do with um, you know being able to um, yeah, being able to uh, protect and and deliver on the things that are important to you and to your guests. Where right now and again I I, I don't want to criticize. Um, the, our, our, our business, but there are a lot of people who, uh, so pr prior to January, who were open doing business, who really weren't doing a good job by all of the constituents in their world. They were open because our economy was smoking hot, 
right? You could open up a restaurant, a food truck pulled up in front of, you know, your neighborhood more often than it, than it had, you know, in the, in the past 10 years prior. So everyone could open up a restaurant, everyone could open up a food truck, but not everyone could do it well. But because the economy was so strong, people had so much disposable income, unemployment rate was, was historically low, right? So all of these operators were, were able to do stuff that you know what, if you talked about perfect capitalism, right, you know, perfect competition, they probably shouldn't be allowed to do, you know, allowed to be in business. So, so this pandemic kind of turned the knob on that a little bit so that some of these folks who really weren't doing a great job are not going to make it at the other end. But, but the sad part, and I, I'm, I, I don't want to generalize, the sad part is there's some really great operators whose business model didn't allow them to sustain the, you know the 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 cash hit you know the 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 closure or the reduced volume um, you know over time so there are we are going to lose some great operators in this in this mix but the ones who are going to die uh, not that's the wrong word the, the the ones who are going to close the the the, the quickest are the ones who probably shouldn't have been in business to begin with because they don't have what it takes to to figure it out. Their guests weren't loyal and committed. Their employees weren't loyal and committed. Like I think of the restaurants that I love, and uh, I'll just give you an example. There's a little local uh, pizza place we have uh, here in Ithaca, and once the pandemic hit, I think they were open for a week, like in March when things started to get crazy. They stayed open for a week. They realized that it just wasn't working for them. It wasn't, they didn't feel comfortable operating. They closed down. They had a Facebook page and a Twitter account. They kept in contact with everyone. And they said, you know what, we're not ready to go, but as soon as we can open up safely, we're going to do it. And boom, they opened up and there's a damn line out the door as long as it's ever been because these guys before the pandemic were awesome. They did the right thing. They cared about their people. They cared about their guests. They couldn't do it during the pandemic. People missed them. And the second that they opened, they they couldn't sell enough. Uh, you know, and so that's the kind of stuff that will that will that will be there if you weren't doing the right thing beforehand in any of those domains you're at risk of not being able to survive because you don't have the skills um you know in place to to basically do it if you didn't treat your people well you expect them to come back they're not going to come back if they hated you, you well that's maybe too strong if they didn't like the work they were doing with you or for you then you're going to get them back probably not right but if you treated your people well they're going to miss you your guests and your and your staff they're going to miss you they're going to want to come back and you find yourself in a unique position in the way that you are also ushering in the next generation of hospitality leaders how has covid impacted the way cornell is going to prepare the fu- the future leaders of our industry well you know it it's adding in it's adding in a, a a new level of attention to detail that you know we've always prided ourselves on you know teaching we give our kids an amazing education in i call them kids i mean they're young adults uh we give them an amazing you know structural education we teach them accounting finance you know the, the works you know how a business operates how to do particular things but that's only part of it the other part is who they are and who they are as a hospitality leader, who they are as a hospitality professional. And we teach them compassion. We teach them, you know, all the things that will separate them from, from, from their peers. And so all this means is that we have to double down on 
the compassion part, on the, uh, you know, the strategic thinking part of, you know, how do you basically deal with all of these twists and turns? You know, you can have a bad month, right, you know, under normal circumstances and come out fine at the other end of it. But this is different than any bad month that any, this is different than any bad month that anyone's ever seen since the Great Depression. I mean, in all sincerity, right? There's been nothing like this. And so all it means is that we have to uh, remind our students that our industry is really complicated and it isn't just about the four walls of your business or if you own 10 restaurants, the four walls of those 10 businesses. It's about the, it's about the production, right? It's about the environment. It's about uh, the suppliers that service you, not just for your food and beverage, uh, but for your linens, for um, you know the the stuff that that you fill your restaurant with, the artwork, whatever it is, there are all of these components that drive your business, and everyone in the supply chain, ba- you know, backwards has been affected by this in one way or the uh, one way or the other. And so, having people be compassionate and understand what's happening behind them uh, or below them in the in the you know in the supply chain is really, really important. And that's going to create leaders that are more forward thinking, um, they're they're better um, better suited and prepared to deal with the uncertainty that comes. So I think the leaders that we're training now are going to be way more successful um, than, than they would have been otherwise because all of the adversity, um, you know, we always used to pride ourselves on having like a 98% pl- placement rate of our students. Well, when unemployment rate is at 20%, uh, you know, is that, is that still possible? Our numbers actually from last year still look pretty good that most, uh, most employers are still hiring our students, but they push the start date from mm-hmm. what would have been June to September or to October. And so, uh, you know, so the industry is still planning on moving forward and we're creating leaders that, uh, I guess, you know, the simple answer to a long-winded answer to a simple question is compassion, right? I think we have to teach our, our people, our students to be more compassionate and that will help them be better leaders and help them deal with whatever adversity uh, they face when they get out. I couldn't agree with you more. At the conclusion of every episode, I'd like to give the guests an opportunity to talk to the industry directly. Do you have words of advice, words of encouragement, anything you'd like to share with the folks listening? Well, you know, hospitality, that's, that's what it comes down to, just taking care of the people around you to the best of your ability. And that's what we need to get through this, hospitality, compassion, call it whatever you want. That's the future of our industry, but it's also the past because that's what got us where we are today. If you'd like to check out the results from the Yelp Diner survey, plus get an exhaustive list of all the free tools and resources out there for restaurateurs, go to joshcopel.com forward slash resources. Didn't write that down? Don't worry, there's a link in the show notes as well. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content or read our weekly blog, go to joshcopel.com. That's J-O-S-H. K-O-P-E-L dot com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.